Have you ever been held accountable for something that you didn't even know that you were being held accountable for? Or as a leader, have you ever just wondered, why don't they get it? Like, they should just do the job. And why is it so difficult? Why do I have to micromanage? And just why do they keep getting it wrong? Well, before you hold people accountable, including yourself, let's make darn sure there's a few things that we've done before we have that conversation. And that's what we'll be talking about in this episode. Hi, if we haven't met before, I'm Daryl Black, and I'm the creator of the Critical Path Leadership Framework, which involves the inner game, and that would be things like leadership mindset. Also influence, and specifically positive influence over other people. And last but not least, impact. And not just any impact, but an impact that's big, but it uses a principle called minimal viable effort. And that is making the most impact in the least amount of time with the least amount of effort. I've spent over 30 years in emergency management and crisis leadership positions. And I take those lessons that I've learned in those environments and, and working with some amazing people. And I work now with CEOs and entrepreneurs and, and business owners and corporate managers to really amplify the leadership and help in their personal development as well. Now, I totally get it. I totally get it. You shouldn't have to set expectations, right? People get paid to do a job. People have job descriptions now. They shouldn't be micromanaged, right? They're adults. They shouldn't be missing deadlines. They shouldn't be asking a lot of questions. They shouldn't need any handholding for sure. And, you know, let's face it. Ain't no one got time to be a micromanager. I don't want to be a micromanager. You probably don't want to be a micromanager. And no one likes to be micromanaged. But unfortunately, a lot of times when we have situations where we think we really have to be involved, detail-oriented, hands-on slash micromanagement, it's probably because we haven't done some critical elements first. Now, if I had a dime for every time I heard the word accountability from a leader in terms of any kind of conversation during a course or during uh, you know, any conversation or discussion on social media in person when we used to be able to meet in person, so now it's over, over video, that word accountability, 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 oh man, I, I want to be able to hold people accountable but I can't anymore. Or we get into conversations about generations and specifically like millennials, or when we're working in labor relations, heavy areas, we hear that all the time. Well, I can't hold people accountable. I, I try, I try, or they're just not being accountable. Well, before we again, hold people accountable and have those tough conversations, those meetings, those performance management uh, discussions, I'm going to give you some very clear things that you need to do and how to do them so that, in fact, you can avoid performance management altogether. You can avoid micromanagement altogether. You can avoid being frustrated and pissed off when somebody doesn't meet your standards or meet your deadlines or meet your expectations. And to flip that around selfishly, I know for me, there have been times in my life, personally and professionally, where... I, I got in crap for something. I was like, well, that's news to me. I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know I was supposed to do that. How many times has that happened? How many people have kids, right? Well, I didn't know. 
Okay, okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. We're not mind readers. Now, I know that on a personal relationship side, this is certainly no Dr. Phil moment, but um, I would suspect, at least in my own personal experience, if we had laid out expectations a little bit more clearly or if we continue to, um, things would go a little bit smoother and there'd be ever so slight less friction in personal relationships. So what I have to talk to you coming up here and in this series around accountability, I think you can apply to your professional world for sure, um, but definitely your, your personal as well. And as we've seen during this, this time, as this is recorded, uh, work-life balance is out the window. We're working from home now. We're interacting with our kids a lot more, our partners a lot more, for better or worse. Um, and there's no longer a work-life balance, but more of a work-life harmony and trying to figure out what that is. So you can avoid an awful lot of friction if you just do a few things well and front-end load the, the, the conversation. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Now, couple general statements, if I may. One would be, contrary to belief, expectations, it's a two-way street. It's two ways. It's a conversation. Now, I know in my leadership journey, so I've been involved with some large-scale projects corporately and professionally. I've also been involved with a lot of crisis leadership situations, things like Hurricane Katrina, hundreds of search and rescue missions, and, and Canada's two largest disasters. And for me, setting expectations is one of the most important things I do as a leader. A lot of people think, well, good, I get to hold people's feet to their fire, or I get to get crap done and all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pump the brakes on that tough guy. Because first and foremost, one of the most important things is to have that conversation around expectations. What are my expectations of you, the person that I'm supporting? And again, it's a two-way street, which we'll talk about. And it kind of is a benefit for, for a whole lot of ways or, or a whole lot of benefits are, are provided by, by front-end loading this conversation around expectations. One, it provides so much clarity. And selfishly, it allows me, it frees me up Okay, so yeah, it's selfish. It frees me up as a leader to go and focus on other things. So it's like a fire and forget missile. If I set the expectations effectively, then I don't have to micromanage. So for me, I love setting expectations because then everybody's on that same page. I'm free to go off and do other work. And in most cases, it just means I can free up some time to go to another freaking meeting. Uh, and I, I'm sure that uh, this resonates with you. I don't do any work anymore. I am a professional meter, not greeter, but meter. That's what I do. I go to meetings. And so when we're deploying, when I'm on projects, when I'm working on initiatives, it's all about the meetings. So if I set, a, set expectations early and I set them effectively, then it frees me up. I don't have to get involved with all of the details. So now take that a step further. It gives me more energy. It's less draining. It's less negative. So that's for me. Now, for the people that we're working with, man, oh man, there are a whole bunch of great advantages there, which we'll get into. Now, you can also think about it as what we call a force multiplier. So if I set expectations effectively, I can now, as I said, I'm free up to do a bunch of other things, but then guess what? Then they can go about setting expectations to get what they need done, done. 
right? So it kind of cascades in a very, very good way, provided it's done consistently. That's the important part. So when we're working on, I'm working on a large initiative right now with a large multinational um, uh, nonprofit organization around the, the pandemic as we record this. I'm one person. I have a lot of moving parts involved with this huge initiative, this huge project, a lot of which requires volunteer manpower, person power. Now, volunteers are excellent to work with. Their hearts are huge. Heck, I am one. I, mean, I have a huge sense of, of volunteerism. I think that's something that we should all spend some time doing. Um, but a lot of times, they're, they're, while their greatest passion or their greatest strength is their passion, greatest weakness is their passion. And that goes for, for not even just volunteers, but people that really care about their jobs. So as a result, everything matters. So you have to be very, very clear on the parameters and the boundaries. And so you can work with a wide range of people effectively by setting expectations. Now I've talked about the advantages to it. So why, why they're a good thing, but I guess the question that we have is why don't we? Right? Why don't we? And I alluded to some of those reasons earlier. Well, there's an, an assumption, okay? There's an assumption that they get paid to do their job, right? So they should just know. They're adults, right? Regardless of how old they are. Um, there's a job description or they've been doing the job forever. All of those things. So we also don't want to be an a-hole about it right? Because there's this, this, this discomfort around kind of the, the perception that we're coming across as heavy handed or, or autocratic or mean or insensitive or whatever that is or unemotional when actually, oh, contraire, my friend, setting expectations provides clarity for people. People want to know where they stand. If going, you know, another analogy or going back to the kids, right? Like, and now I'm not, I'm not super dad by any stretch of the imagination. I have been fortunate enough to, to raise, or at least be involved in the raising of an amazing kid. He's 13. His name is Hunter. He's a good kid. Now, when Hunter was young, there was a resistance I felt to imposing any kind of structure, for example, right? And that structure in the, in the form of expectations. Now, as he goes through his schooling, he's in grade eight now, and it's been interesting really to see because now expectations are changing. There are more things being expected of him around the house. There are more things to be expected or being expected from him at school, in his social circle, all of those other things. And so I've been very, very mindful that setting the expectations provides comfort for him. It is, and it's done in a respectful, proper way, right? I'm not imposing my will on him or intimidating or bullying or anything like that, but it's really, really important because then he knows the rules of the game. How would you like to be in a football game or any kind of sporting event, any sport, any kind of game, board game, and you don't know what the rules are? How about Monopoly, where you could just like go to Park Place and whatever the expensive blue one is and pay five bucks. And then like you could just, as soon as you, 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 you go once you can go all the way around and then you can go buy those two properties and then I don't know, charge a million dollars for that. No, it, it won't work. It'll be chaos. It'll be anarchy. There'll be frustration. People will be really, really upset. So 
we have rules in games. We have expectations in games. We have expectations in sporting events. We have expectations all of the time. There's an expectation that you pay your, your phone bill. There's an expectation that you name it. So expectations are everywhere. And yet we have this, this sometimes odd relationship with setting expectations in other people. But I will submit to you, I will assert to you that there is a very effective, consistent, proper way of doing it. It involves two, two levels. And if it's done, and these, these are kind of graduating levels, if you will. And if you use these two levels effectively, you don't have to micromanage. You can, you can have a lot less stress, more energy. You can, as I said, focus on some other things. And from an accountability perspective, you know exactly what you're tracking there. So you as a leader know what, what's being tracked and the person that you're supporting also knows that. So the first level is what we call end state or intent-based expectations. So when we deploy for you know large-scale uh, events, it's impossible for leaders to interact directly with each and every person on a response, for example, in, in, in the larger ones where you can have anywhere between 2,000, 10,000 responders spread across a large geographic area or a project, for example. So project management, spent decade doing that. As a project manager, I was not able to, on the bigger projects, I am not able to touch every single person that's involved on that project. When it's really, really small, sure, Sure, no problem. But in project management, emergency management, crisis leadership, I have leaned on this expectation model specifically around intent heavily. And in fact, that's my go-to. And what intent is, is really painting what that end state looks like. There's more elements that go into it, but for the purposes, purposes of this discussion, it's really just a general conversation around end state. And what you do as a leader is you tell them what right looks like. You tell them what you want at the end of the task or the end of the project or the end of whatever it is. Now, how they go about carrying that, that task out or those series of tasks or that initiative is largely up to them, right? So see the advantage here. So they know what right looks like. They, they have now a roadmap, they have a destination but that roadmap is, is, is theirs to manage. All that we know and we care about as leaders is that they get to that destination, they get to that end state at the time that we ask them to, to the right destination. And, uh, and really, that's, that's about it. So think about that. So if you're, if you're telling people that end state, they can now run away and they can go about and execute and get there. They can figure out the mapping. They can do their own GPS work. They can pull out the map. They can make adjustments. And in fact, a lot of times they'll make adjustments that you didn't even know about and things that may even turn out to be better than the way you had laid it out initially. They also feel empowered, right? They feel empowered. They feel respected as well. And from a leadership perspective, respect influence is so important. And if you want respect, you have to give it. And one of the ways that you can give it is by just really outlining end state. What does right look like? So that is level one. And that's typically what you'd want to do all the time anyways. But you want to be very, very uh, liberal with that, with experienced folks, experienced teams, because it's, it's a form of delegation. Look, here's the end state. You're smart, you're qualified, you're talented, you're motivated, all of those other things. You go about and, and you get to that end state. 
you need any help, you let me know. You give me some updates, some statuses. Otherwise, two thumbs up for you. See you, uh, see you at the end state, right? So it works really, really well. It does not work very well with a less experienced person or a less experienced team for the simple reason that when you give them the end state and then no associated roadmap on how to get there, you're actually setting them up for failure. You're setting them up for stress. You're setting them up for a lot of frustration and anguish and angst and sleepless nights, depending, right? They want to do a good job, but unfortunately they're inexperienced and they're unable to figure out what that roadmap looks like. So yes, they know what the end state is, but they don't know how to get there. So that's where level two comes in. And this is now where you have to sit down and have a more specific conversation. And in this context, it'll be, let's say it's a, it's a teammate, it's a person that you support. And it involves a few different steps. And this is my DDB leadership framework, uh, expectation leadership framework. And so I'll go through it very, very quickly. But key point is that it is a two-way discussion, right? When I started in leadership, it didn't matter. Expectations was not a two-way conversation. It was very much one way. You shall do, you must do. And if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Heck, we even at Christmas had, had like a, a, an adult table and like a kid's table. Like you talk about dialogue, not at all. As soon as Christmas uh, dinner was over, kids downstairs, you're to be neither seen nor heard, right? Well, I guess they set the expectation and that was the end state. So, well, hey, my parents were, were doing this system long before I was even born. Oh, good for them. So this is now where, where again, we're having the, this conversation and you need to be very, very clear and it's a two-way street. So it starts with setting what your expectations are. What are the dates associated with what you're asking them to do? What is the behavior around it where, you know, ethically do things ethically within integrity, uh, making sure there's good communication around, you know, the, the initiative, all of those other things, and also the end state, right? So that's right off the bat. So that's me as a leader, okay? So now you, you're the teammate, okay? So I ask you to do a task, task A, okay, whatever that might be. So I say, hey, here's task A. This is the date I need it done by. Here's what right looks like. So here's the end state. Let's make sure that we're treating people with respect and, and integrity and, and you're communicating effectively and you're practicing self-care, all of those things to carry out task A. Now, typically that's where it ends, at least in my experience, right? Good, I've told you what you need to do. Go do it, beat it. Well, Here's where the expectations framework really, really starts to cook with gas and why it's tremendously valuable and why I say it's a two-way street. Because the first thing that happens is I've given you that task A, you now have the opportunity to seek clarity, right? You can ask questions about it. You can really gain understanding and confirm what that task A is all about. What are those dates? What are those, the, so the deadlines? What is the behavior? What is that end state? And there can be a conversation around that. And I, I'm the leader and I can provide that. I can provide that for you. Then the other part of it is you have the opportunity not only to have gained understanding, but also have asked for what resources you require. So I'm a leader and I'm a supportive one. I want you to do a good job. I want to empower you properly, all of those other things. So now, it's your opportunity to say what support you need from me, right? And that support can be technical, it can be, um, you know, maybe capital, 
you know, kind of like equipment. It could be uh, time. It could be a shuffling of priorities. It could be anything like that, any kind of support or removing barriers, which is a, a, a big support um, factor for us as leaders is removing barriers for folks, right? So, so then they have the opportunity to, to express what support they need from me. Okay. Or, or you, you need from me to carry out task A. Now I have the opportunity to, to negotiate to a certain extent. So really I could say, sorry, can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. Or I can say, oh, you know what? That's fair. Maybe we can shuffle some things or I can give this project or this initiative to somebody else. So then see how it's this conversation. It's not just me do, 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 do. So then after that, after we've arrived on this conclusion, now as a leader, I am going to now restate. Okay. So I'm going to restate the support that I will give you. Now, it sounds very clunky and very formal right now, but it doesn't have to be once you get kind of the, the, the hang of it. So what's happening there is when I reframe, I'm actually now ensuring that I understand and so are you. You're ensuring that I understand so that we're both on the same page. So see how this is working? We're, we're, we're having a good dialogue. We're going down step by step. And again, it sounds clunky, but it doesn't have to be. Okay. So then once I've restated, we both agree we're on that same page and you can go about your business now. I can go about mine knowing that at least we've had a really good initial conversation around what those expectations are, but my job is not done yet. My job is not done. My job is now to review and check status and the expectation I have on you, as discussed, is to make sure that you're updating me, making sure that if there's any problems that you've identified them to me, you've flagged them to me, for example. Okay. So those are the two broad categories. That level one is that end state. So have that conversation and you can use that with experienced people. Typically, you give them the end state, they figure out the how, they figure out the roadmap to it. You just know that that's how... Uh, that's where they're going to end up and that's good for you. The second one, level two, use typically where now you've got less experienced people where you need to have that conversation, that dialogue. The expectations framework is also good if you're now stuck in a performance management system or a performance management um, kind of situation. And that is a good segue into what our next episode will be is we've had this conversation now. We've set the expectations. Now what? Well, yes, we review, but what are we going to do if somebody kind of starts to starts to fall off the rails a little bit or starts to deviate or starts to get bogged down or they're not upholding their end of the bargain? What do we do then? And really it comes down to two, two words, skill and will. And that's exactly what we'll be talking about in our next episode. So part two of this three-part accountability series.